Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 7, Telepractice. It's not just screen time. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast mini-series, Telepractice, It's Not Just Screen Time, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Thanks for joining us for our fifth episode, Empowering Parents via Teletherapy, Early Intervention to School-Age Children. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I am your host, Karine hartunian Kukayan. I've been a speech-language pathologist for over two decades and working in telepractice for the past 12 years, serving in both special education and healthcare. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. We love and encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer towards the end of the episode. As a reminder, if your state license requires CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz, before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Karin Hartunian Kukayan is the host of this podcast and receives compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com, and she is also currently the Clinical Program Director at SLP Tele. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is the current SIG-18 Associate Coordinator for ASHA. Megan Ramirez was paid an honorarium for this presentation. She is the owner of Little Fish Speech Therapy, LLC. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is a member of SIG-18 for telepractice. And now, here's a little bit about our guest today. Megan Ramirez is a bilingual speech pathologist who specializes in working with autistic children and the early intervention population via teletherapy. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Delaware in Spanish Literature and Linguistics in 2011. Megan went on to receive her master's degree in speech and language pathology from Syracuse University in 2014. Megan spent the first part of her career working in the outpatient setting at a children's hospital where she treated children with a variety of medical diagnoses. She then transitioned to volunteer as a speech pathologist in the underprivileged communities of Trujillo, Peru, where she worked to treat medically fragile children. While in Peru, Megan also worked to provide education to local therapists. After her year-long contract in Peru ended, Megan began working as a speech pathologist via teletherapy, specializing in coaching parents of autistic children and children ages 2 to 5. In 2021, Megan opened a private practice which specializes in providing neurodiversity-affirming speech therapy services. Welcome, Megan. 
In this episode, we will be covering the following learner outcomes. By the end of the course, participants will be able to define parent coaching via teletherapy, summarize research supporting parent coaching via teletherapy, define speech and language outcomes for parent coaching intervention via teletherapy with the early intervention, preschool, and autistic population. Let's get started with a question about you. We would love to hear about how you began your journey as a SLP and then came upon telepractice. Sure. So I was working as an SLP in Peru. And when I finished my contract in 2018, I began looking for online work. I actually started working with an online dictionary, doing translations for them. And then I actually came across SLP Tele, where I met Kareen. And that's when I began working in teletherapy. And that was in 2019. And so, you know, I continue to do teletherapy because I love the teletherapy platform. I loved seeing the progress and it was just a really great experience overall. And so then in 2021, I opened up my teletherapy practice. Amazing. Love it. What type of clients do you see in your private practice and where are they located? So I see a wide range of clients. A lot of them are from two to probably around young adults. I work with autistic children, the early intervention, preschool population. I work with kids who are working on articulation therapy. I work with a lot of Gestalt language processors. So those kiddos who communicate using echolalia, we work to help them create novel natural language. And my kids are all over. They are mainly in New Jersey and Washington, but I do have a few in other states such as California and North Carolina as well. Excellent. So let's go ahead and get started with our main topic of interest today, parent coaching. What is parent coaching and how does it work? And while you're discussing that, also define for us what is not considered parent coaching. Great. So when we speak about parent coaching, this can mean coaching a guardian, sibling, grandparent, really whoever is regularly attending those speech sessions with the client. So parent coaching involves educating parents on the use of the strategies or interventions, as well as allowing them to practice the intervention with their child at the supervision of the SLP. It includes a lot of elements, sharing knowledge from the SLP to the the parent or the caregiver, the SLP demonstrating the strategy. So for example, explaining and demonstrating how to use modeling in order to increase a child's single word utterances, for example, the SLP observing the parent with the child as the parent practices the strategy or the intervention, and then the SLP providing feedback. It also includes parent reflection on the use of the intervention and discussing problem solving with the SLP. So it is really important to have all those elements together. In the literature, there is actually not one single definition of parent coaching. Um, We'll see a lot out there. But in general, we do see that these collaborative elements between the SLP and the caregiver is what is consistent in the literature. So what we don't consider to be parent coaching is just, you know, a conversation with the SLP and the parent. So, you know, while that might be an important component of it, a conversation and sharing knowledge in isolation 
by itself isn't parent coaching. We also don't consider it to be parent observation of the SLP. Also, while that is an important component, it's not alone, it's not considered to be parent coaching. So we really need to have all of these collaborative elements of sharing knowledge, demonstrating a strategy, seeing the parent, then interacting with the child and providing the feedback in order for it to be considered parent coaching. It's very interesting. So I see the parent observing the therapist as being more passive, whereas the sharing of knowledge and demonstrating a strategy is being more interactive and more of an active learning experience. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how technology is used in telepractice to do the sharing of knowledge and demonstrate strategies. The more detail you could give us, I I know our audience would really appreciate that. Sure. So I think it depends on on the platform, but when we talk about sharing knowledge, I think it's a matter of having not just one, but multiple conversations with the parent about our intervention and why we're doing what we're doing in terms of the intervention. Because if the parent doesn't quite understand the reasoning behind it, then it's not going to be nearly as effective. So, you know, I think via teletherapy, having many conversations with the parent about our intentions, about what we're trying to achieve, what our goals are. That's the first step. And then when it comes to modeling the actual intervention ourselves as the clinicians, that can look very different depending on the child's goals and depending on the dynamic. Sometimes that might include sharing a screen, for example, or, you know, maybe we're working on articulation words with tic-tac-toe. And so I just share my screen and I might demonstrate the intervention and I'm playing tic-tac-toe with the kiddo while we're doing our therapy. And then the parent is doing it. So sometimes it is, it involves the parent participating in an activity with the child as I'm providing some feedback. So I really think, yeah, depending on the child and their needs and the parent and the goals as well really depends on on those different factors. It can definitely vary. Do you have any examples of good reflection questions that you might use with parents? I might ask them how they thought that the intervention or their implementation of the intervention went. I think when parents, sometimes they might even initiate that conversation after an activity and they might ask questions. And that's how I really know that they are actively learning and actively participating in these um, interventions. So when they start to ask questions is kind of like when the light bulb goes on, because that's when I know they're really, you know, the wheels are really turning for them. And so, you know, I feel like I like to just kind of have those open-ended questions for them. You know, how did you feel that it went? Or what do you think now knowing what you know, what do you think that you might do differently next time? And so that way we are kind of actively guiding them towards working with that particular intervention with their child. Definitely. And I'm curious, I've always thought it was challenging that in telepractice, we can't share the same object. So how do you do modeling for the parents through telepractice? 
So sometimes role play actually might be the most effective. So for example, if we have a kiddo who is really active and maybe they are one of those kiddos that maybe doesn't attend to the screen for the whole session, maybe they'll attend to the screen for, you know, a couple of minutes here or there. What we might take in or might use as an opportunity is for the SLP to role play with the parents. So I might take out an activity that I have on my end and demonstrate the intervention with the parent and showing them how I might do it, but on my end with the toy that I have. So then, then that way they know how to use maybe even a different activity, a different toy at home. The important thing though, is that the intervention is going to remain the same. So if I'm modeling with a Mr. Potato Head on my end, if the child decides that they want to play with a cooking set, for example, the intervention of modeling and maybe following their lead, for example, is going to remain the same. And I also think that's an important thing to explain to parents, you know, while the activity might change that intervention and the way we implement that intervention is going to remain the same. Wonderful. Thank you for explaining that. So what are some ways that in-person parent coaching might differ when applying these strategies in person versus telepractice? So I think that really depends on the child, the goals, and the activities. So if we have a kiddo who consistently is interacting with the SLPs, so maybe they're a little bit older or they are doing articulation and we are, you know, they are sitting at, you know, their device for the entirety of the speech session. To be honest, there's not a huge difference in parent coaching strategies as compared to in-person. So for example, you know, what we talked about before with maybe targeting articulation words, let's say, you know, maybe I can share a game board up on my screen and I, you know, tell the parent about the intervention that we're going to be participating in. Um, Let's say, we're targeting feeler fronting, for example. You know, I explain that to the parent. I explain what type of cueing we might use. Of course, I'm not going to use that language. I'm going to explain, you know, we are going to maybe give him the word or maybe touch our, our throat right here to kind of show him that he needs to make the sound here. So, you know, I'll explain that to them. And then I will participate in that activity on screen with the kiddo. We'll do the board game as the words are kind of coming up the board game that we're going to be working on. And then I will invite the parent to do the same. And the parent can actually participate on the screen that I'm sharing. It's even better if they're able to control the mouse because the two of them can take turns and it can be a little bit more interactive between the two of them. All the while, I am really focusing on the parent and making sure that they are giving the cues that they need in order for the child to to be successful. However, if you have a child who is intermittently interacting with the SLP on screen, let's say maybe they will participate with me for five minutes and then, you know, maybe they need a break. Maybe they need to get off the screen for a little bit, or maybe they go to another activity because they're really active. So they move from one thing to the next very quickly. In that case, this is where it differs a little bit from in person, because in this case, the parent is going to have to be a little bit more or maybe even a lot more hands-on. We're on the other side of the screen. So as, as teletherapists, we don't have the ability to go get the child and go see what they're doing and go, you know, interact with them. We have to have the parent go do that. And so I think in that case, it really involves a collaborative relationship with the parent, maybe even more so than in person, because, the parent needs to be very involved. And I think a lot of conversations 
prior to this happening really need to happen with the parents. So that way they understand, okay, you know, if the kiddo gets up and moves to another activity, that's absolutely fine. We're prepared. We know what we're going to, you know, be having to having to do. And so this is also a case in which that role-playing might be effective. So that way, you know, I can show the parent exactly how they're going to be using this intervention. And that way they feel prepared. So that way, when they get to the Mr. Potato Head on their end or the doll set on their end, whatever it may be, that way they feel that they know what the strategy or the intervention is going to be. And then as I'm observing, I will be providing feedback to the parent. I'm curious, uh, a lot of questions are coming up in my mind, and I, I believe the audience might have similar questions. When you're working with the parent, where do you have them sit or or where where are they ideally in relation to where the child is? Usually I have them sitting right next to the child, ideally. There are some parents who do sometimes maybe like to, you know, be in the background doing something else. I do ask that they, if possible, that they are with the kiddo, especially when we're implementing parent coaching, because it's so important for them to really understand the interventions and how to implement them. Because, you know, washing dishes in the background, they might be able to hear us, but they're really not going to be able to see and visualize what we're doing. So yeah, I usually have them sitting right next to them during our sessions. Have you ever had success with the parent maybe logging on through a different device? I'm curious. That's a great question. I've had that maybe a year or two ago um, with a parent who was not physically with the kiddo. And so I had one parent with the kiddo and then another parent who was somewhere else and they logged on. And so that was actually very successful because the parents were so involved and they really just took the the implementation of the strategies and they kind of just ran with them. But yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about as well. You know, the parent also being another participant in the the session as well. Yeah, I mean, that definitely opens up so many options if a parent's working or for whatever reason, they can't be physically in the same room as the child. And what do you think made it so successful in this scenario that you were describing? I think in this particular scenario, the parent who had actually signed in from a different location was previously in other sessions, but physically there as well. That's not to say that maybe if they signed in consistently, they might not be able to participate as well. But I think that because the mom had such a great understanding of the strategies and how to implement them, she was really able to participate nicely with the kiddo from a distance, which was really great to see as well. And I imagine that they probably worked on activities that required more screen sharing rather than using a real objects, probably, correct? Right, right. And I, well, the thing with this kiddo too, is he was one of the kiddos that was very active and liked to move from one activity to the next. So it was really the two parents who the one who was physically there and then the parent who signed in that were kind of collaborating with, okay, let's get out this toy or maybe let's get out this toy. And then me kind of coaching in the, in the background and you kind of maybe throwing out some ideas for them. Love it. Love it. I was also curious if you use any kind of um, behavior strategies or devices like timers when it comes to the kiddos that might not be able to sustain attention for very long. 
Yeah. So for some kiddos who have difficulty sustaining attention, I really try to gear the activities towards their interests and what are the things that motivate them the most, whether that be on screen or off screen. I even have some kiddos who, you know, sometimes they might be playing with a train, but they're still looking at me and they're physically playing with the train, but we are still interacting. I think that has been very effective in just following their lead and in doing the things that they're interested in. And I also do occasionally share some timers as well. That has been very helpful, especially when breaks are needed, because sometimes kiddos, you know, maybe they're just not in a space that day where they're able to be on the screen for the full time during the session. And so they might need a break and that's okay. You know, I sometimes need a break when I've been on the screen for a really long time too. So sharing a timer and having it be like a very large timer. So that way they see has been super, super helpful. That's great. And I am also curious when we say break, what type of How do you give them a break or like what kind of activities do you do during the break to really make it effective? So usually what we'll do is we will tell the kiddos, hey, we are going to do a certain amount of time of doing an activity. And then I might give them like a one or two minute break. Sometimes for them, it's a bathroom break. Sometimes it's a break to play with their toys. And during that time, I usually don't go out of my way to necessarily interact at that time with them because that is their time to to just have as a break. But I do take advantage of that time to talk to the parent because, you know, I'm sure a lot of those therapists out there probably also have the experience where, you know, there's so much that we need to talk to the parent about. And sometimes we get to the end of the session and we're like, We have like one minute left, you know, so using that break time to have those collaborative moments with the parents is really helpful. Definitely. Every moment is golden. That's for sure. And let's talk a little bit more along those lines. What considerations should we take into account for parent coaching via teletherapy? Oh, there's so many things to think about. So I think the first thing is that it's important to not assume that parents want to participate in teletherapy. I mean, of course, it's ideal that they do, but having a discussion with them or even maybe multiple discussions with the parent or guardian about what parent coaching is, how it works, why we do it and what to expect managing expectations is really important. Managing our expectations and their expectations as well. I think that, you know, gauging their motivation, how motivated are they to participate in the child's therapy and carry it over into the home environment. Usually I find that in the first or the second conversation with the parent, I'll get a good sense of what their motivation is for parent coaching. Some parents fall with that in mind, you know, they want tips for home and they want to know what they, what they can do at home. And then some parents do prefer that the SLP takes over and does the teletherapy or does the therapy. So I think it's really important to kind of establish all of those things prior to then embarking on the parent coaching journey. 
Another thing to consider is parent schedule. Every family member or every family has their own reasons for choosing teletherapy. And some families may choose teletherapy due to time constraints or that, you know, the fact that teletherapy is convenient, which of course it is, it's wonderful. But they do this because they have busy schedules or they have other commitments or other kids. So we also have to consider, you know, if we say to them, we are going to give you all these strategies and, you know, you're going to have to work from one session to the next. You're going to have to do a bunch of work. You know, we don't want them to feel like we're putting more on their plate than they already have, which is why I think it's important to create strategies that they can fit into their everyday routines so that not only do the skills generalize, but so that they also don't feel that we are putting more on their plate than they already have. I also think that considering a parent's comprehension skills overall, some parents do better with small pieces of information. Some parents need a lot of repetition. Some parents need a lot of demonstration and some parents themselves might have comprehension deficits. So we definitely need to be mindful of that. We also need to think about how do parents learn best? Sometimes I'll even ask them, you know, do you prefer that I give you feedback in real time or do you prefer to interact with your child for a couple of minutes and then I give you feedback after? Do you want a written summary of what we've talked about so that way they have a visual? Because every parent learns just like children, you know, we all have our different ways that we learn best. I also think being mindful of the environment is really important too. You know, in teletherapy, sometimes we can only see a portion of the room. So we might really not know what's going on, who's there, maybe the TV's on, maybe the whole family's in the kitchen, you know, we have no idea. So it's important that, you know, we have conversations with parents about the best environments to do teletherapy in and to do parent coaching in. Another thing to be mindful of is also thinking about maybe the device that they're using. So for those kiddos who are more frequently on the move, I usually recommend a tablet, for example. So that way they can see me on a bigger screen. But, you know, if the kiddo is going from one toy to the next, the parent can bring me around. And that way it doesn't feel like it has to be so stable. Maybe for those kiddos who are able to participate in on-screen activities for the entire session, maybe a desktop or a laptop would be more appropriate because they have the screen control. So that's definitely something to think about as well. I think another important thing to consider is that as clinicians, we need to be confident in our own skills before we teach parents about how to use these interventions with their children, especially with, with teletherapy. Because, you know, in teletherapy, like we said before, sometimes the parents do have to be more hands-on. So we have to make sure that we're confident in what we're telling the parents to do. And lastly, I think being mindful of the way that we present feedback to the parents. You know, we want our feedback to be constructive, but we also want to be mindful of the parent because we don't want it to come off as though there's any judgment. You know, we want to give positive feedback as well as recommendations for next time. Well, a lot of really great nuggets in there. I, if you don't mind, I'm going to try to ask a few more questions to go a little bit deeper because I'm so curious. So you mentioned that, you know, each parent is going to learn differently. We all have different styles and different manners that we learn best. And I'm curious, what are some ways you go about gauging that? Is it just through trial and error? Or do you actually like have a way of knowing what a parent's preferred learning modality might be? 
That's a great, great question. Usually I will go the first couple of sessions and just have, you know, those conversations with parents, providing them with the strategies, and then also those conversations about providing them feedback. And I think sometimes with that, I'm able to gauge, okay, you know, did they take in what I was saying, or maybe do I need to change it up? But I also think that even just asking them, you know, how do you learn? What is the best way? What do you feel you need from this? How do you think that you are going to learn this strategy best? Is it going to be by me consistently modeling it for you? You know, do you need to watch me over two or three sessions before you start to implement these strategies? Or maybe do you feel that you just need to watch me for 10 minutes? So I think really just having those open conversations with those open-ended questions are really helpful for parents. Excellent. And then You talked about managing expectations. I think it's ideal if a parent knows what they want and comes to you with that, right? Like they want parent coaching. And so you know exactly what to do. What happens if, in your opinion, parent coaching might be a good option, but the parent is not on board or they're not really willing to participate in that? That's a tough one. It's really tough because like you said, ideally the parent is going to want to participate in those interventions because that's where we see a ton of progress from session to session. But I think that there may be a variety of reasons, you know, maybe the parent is already overwhelmed. Maybe they feel like they might not be, you know, the best in-home therapist for their kiddo. Maybe they feel like their kiddo isn't going to pay attention to them. And so I think it that really goes along with empowering the parent, but not necessarily forcing them into something that they don't want to do. You know, it's important that we are very mindful of their wishes all the while, you know, we can continue to educate them. I think that is key. Um, You know, if they come to me and they say, they don't even necessarily have to say, it's one of those things that sometimes I can even tell if they're, you know, if they leave the kiddo at the screen and then they go up into the other room and then we just talk for five minutes at the end of the session, we can kind of tell, okay, maybe they're not interested in participating. And I think with that, then it's just really important to tell them, this is what we did today. And this is how we're doing it. And just kind of educating them about the importance of the power really of using these strategies at home. I love it. Thank you so much. And I'm curious also about environment. You mentioned certain environments might be more conducive to parent coaching. Any comments or certain scenarios you might want to share of positive outcomes in an unexpected environment or an environment that we should avoid doing parent coaching in? Mm, Great question. So I feel like one of the environments that is really conducive is always in the, in the kiddos home, usually in a room that is quiet (laughs) if possible. I don't love sessions in the car. I think that sometimes I actually don't think that that can be conducive at all to the parent coaching aspect. Even for example, outside on the playground, you know, I think if there's good internet connection and if the kiddo is one of those kiddos that loves moving around and just really is going from, you know, one thing to the next, maybe they need to move their body. So, um, you know, if the parent is able to bring me to the backyard and we're able to do parent coaching that way and they, you know, what's working with the child and the parents in with it, then 
by all means, <laughs> I think, you know, those sometimes ex- unexpected locations can be um, conducive to parent coaching, but it does have to be controlled in some manner. You know, there has to be that internet connection. There has to be, if we're at a playground, for example, there can't be a ton of other kids around because then it might be uh, a little, a little too distracting, you know, maybe in their backyard in the sandbox or something like that might be a good place. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. So let's see, we've covered quite a lot here. So what programs are available for parent coaching? So there are quite a few, but there are a couple, I think worth mentioning. Canon is actually a program that is in person and telehealth as well. And they work with late talkers and autistic children. They work to train parents and provide feedback to parents to help them change their own communication skills with their children in order to help their children then change or improve their speech and language skills. So this involves that collaborative relationship as well that we were talking about. It involves setting goals between the, with the SLP and the parents. There are group parent meetings where they're provided with information. They view videos, um, they have discussions, they problem solve, they reflect and they role play. And they're actually now as a certification specifically for SLPs who want to do this type of intervention via telehealth. And so if that's something that anybody out there is interested in, um, I would definitely recommend referring to the website to find out more information about the programs and more information about the research behind it as well. Another program or intervention is called DIR Floor Time. This is a developmental approach that looks at the whole child. So it works to promote development through meaningful reciprocal interactions with caregivers. And this is all done through activities that the child is interested in. So there are actually two telehealth parent coaching programs. One is for parents with children with neurodevelopmental differences from birth to 21. And then they also have another program for older adults um, with neurodegenerative diseases. And then also, in addition to that, in their training program for professionals, they have one course that is specifically related to parent coaching, and this can be done in person or via teletherapy as well. And so again, if this is something that anybody out there is interested in, I definitely recommend referring to the website for the research and for more information about the programs. So I would love to hear if you've used the Hannon approach in a particular case and, and what the outcome was, or if there were any specific challenges that you worked through. And then we'll ask the same question for the DIR floor time. Sure. So I'm actually not certified with Hannon and I I haven't full disclosure. I haven't taken the course, but it is an intervention that I did learn about in grad school. And so it is one of those interventions that I frequently use with the early intervention in preschool population. And it really just involves providing, you know, modeling and providing those language stimulation techniques to kiddos who maybe don't quite have those first words yet, or also kiddos who are autistic. And so with that, you know, I have done that kind of across the board with a lot of my parents and teaching them how to model, how to recast, how to do the self-talk and the parallel talk. And it's really great to see because a lot of the parents end up 
kind of just picking this up as their natural communication strategy with the kiddo. You know, sometimes they come to me and the parent by no fault of their own, you know, might ask a lot of questions or they might say, you know, what color is this? Or, or what's that called? And so then I kind of tried to work with them to then try to get them to model, you know, what the name of that object is or what color it is. So that way, you know, there isn't that pressure on the language for the kiddo. And when we do that, the parent then kind of naturally changes their communication, which helps the child improve, which is, which is pretty amazing. In terms of DIR floor time, it has definitely helped me um, work to follow the child's lead and their interest and develop those meaningful interactions with the child. So, you know, while I'm learning it right now, I've also, you know, helped parents as well. And, you know, when we talk about meaningful reciprocal interactions, we can be talking about eye contact or facial expressions or gestures. You know, it doesn't have to be any type of verbal language because these meaningful interactions that are these back and forth interactions with parents, this is the, you know, the building blocks for, for language. These are these pre-linguistic skills that, that we need before language comes in. So I really do love working with parents to talk to them about working on those pre-linguistic skills before we even get the language in and, and kind of seeing them work towards those interactions with the children, just by following the child's lead and going with what they're interested in and Entering, you know, into play with a child without having any agenda or without having any plan as far as what we're going to do and kind of just going with it has been really great to see parents kind of change in that way to then allow their children to initiate and communicate with them. Excellent. And I'd love to hear an example of how EIR floor time might work for the older group that you mentioned for older adults. Any examples of that by chance? <laughs> so I have a client who is about 20 and he is diagnosed with autism. And so he is during our teletherapy sessions, I'm able to ask him questions and he may respond, but there definitely is sometimes, you know, he might not ask me a question or he might not initiate. And so what we've been doing has been, I have um, a dog and recently I was fostering a dog. And so I would actually bring him over to the dogs and mom would be present and, you know, she'd be sitting next to him and, and we would kind of just talk about the dogs. And because he loved the dog so much, he would, Oh, how cute, you know, and we would kind of just go along with it. And I think by kind of us holding back and letting him tell us what he was interested in and, and really seeing the smile on his face, you know, really just cued us into, okay, this is, this is where it's at, you know, this is where we're going to get our communication in. Um, and so, you know, himself and, and his mom and, and myself, we, we had a, a little conversation with the three of us, whereas previously, you know, we might play checkers, for example, and, and there wasn't a ton of affect there, you know, it wasn't a back and forth reciprocal conversation. It was more me asking questions or me, you know, giving him flashcards or something like that. So it has been super effective with those, with the older population as well. Very interesting. And I didn't know that there was this other program for the older adults. So that is fascinating. All right. So let's talk about the research behind parent coaching. What's the evidence that's out there? 
So in general, I laugh because uh, more evidence is needed, Um, but we are seeing in the literature that some of the most effective treatment involves parent coaching via teletherapy. So one example is a program called IMPACT. This is um, improving parents as communication teachers at all. And this worked with parents of autistic children ages birth to seven. And the parents received coaching sessions either in person or via teletherapy. And they were coached to use modeling and expand on their children's language. They were also coached in how to interactively play with their children. And then lastly, they were coached for how to scaffold according to their child's expressive language. So for example, meeting the child at the cueing level that they needed, you know, whether that be modeling or giving them a visual cue or a verbal cue, kind of just depending on, on where they are, or maybe even, you know, if they are at the two word level, you know, speaking at the three word level, depending on what their needs are. And so with this study, parents actually improved interactions with their children and their children's MLU increased, as did their lexical diversity, indicating that parent coaching via teletherapy can be just as effective as in-person parent coaching. Love it. Love it. How about evidence that's specific to supporting parent coaching strategies among early intervention population? Anything there? Yes. So from what I've seen, actually, I feel like the most of the evidence is geared towards early intervention in preschool language. So one example is parent implemented communication strategies, which is a program. And the research looked at this online based intervention, which targeted expressive language and the early intervention population. And it worked with parents as they were reading a book with their children. So the parents first participated in coaching sessions via Zoom, and then they received feedback when working with their children using the intervention, very similar to what we were talking talking about with what parent coaching is. And the results indicated that when parents were taught to pause more during interactions, children are more likely to initiate. Children are also noted to increase single word utterances as well as their use of phrases. In addition, enhanced milieu teaching has also been researched. So by Quinn et al. And this is a hybrid in-person teletherapy program to coach parents. And in this particular study, they researched modeling, incidental teaching, and time delay using a teach model coach review, which is what they called it. Very similar to what we were talking about before, you know, where we share knowledge with the parent, we model it for them, we then coach them and provide them feedback. And then after that, we have a conversation with the parent to talk about how it all went. And the results with this um, indicated that there was an increase in communication intents and different numbers of words in children. So all really good things pointing to early intervention strategies um, for parent coaching via teletherapy. Amazing what can happen if a parent just pauses and waits a little bit. (laughs) I love it. I know. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, and then let's talk a little bit about older children, school-age children. Is there any evidence to support parent coaching for that population? 
Yes. So as I said, a lot of it is geared towards the early intervention and preschool population, but some of the evidence is also available for, or is there for uh, the school age population. And this is specifically with respect to language. So one example of this is Nelson et al, which examined the efficacy of parent coaching via teletherapy that targeted inferential language. So this is more literacy based. This is, you know, talking about the ability to understand what is not explicitly stated while reading a narrative. And they worked with parents of children or boys um, with fragile X syndrome between the ages of 10 and 17. And this is all through teletherapy. And this study was actually one that was a follow-up of a previous study by the same authors um, in which they studied the language expansion in the context of shared storytelling. And that proved to be effective. So in the current study, this revealed that parent coaching via teletherapy or by doing this, their children improved in their use of inferential language. So it seems to be more language and literacy based for the, for the older kids. Could you give us an example of how they might use language expansion in shared storytelling? I'm pretty sure I understand what you mean, but I just wanted to make sure everyone listening understood that as well. Sure. So for example, you know, if we are talking about, you know, maybe a narrative that we read with a book or maybe even an event that happened, you know, we are talking about the back and forth reciprocal communication with the parents while the child is able to use phrases or sentences, you know, whatever level that might be at. And maybe what the parent might do is expand on what they said. So it's kind of similar to what we do with, with the younger population. You know, if a child says, Maybe, or if the, the um, school age child says uh, maybe a phrase, maybe the parent can kind of recast by maybe rephrasing or saying what they've said and reinforcing that, but maybe adding a little bit more information or, you know, adding some synt- syntactical or semantic information to help them expand on their language. Thank you. That was very helpful. I appreciate that. All right. Now, based on research, what would you say are the most effective strategies used for parent coaching? So I think for early intervention and the preschool population, definitely modeling incidental teaching, which is where we work to target a specific word or skill as it organically presents itself in an activity. And this actually lends itself really well to parent coaching because this is great for parents. You know, if they are giving their child a snack or maybe they are, uh, their child is taking a bath, you know, they can use incidental teaching or, you know, use these strategies in incidental teaching as they kind of naturally come up. They can use time delay. So for example, you know, maybe a child comes to me with a a ball or a, a toy or something like that. You know, maybe I wait to see what they do, or maybe I wait to see what they say, and then I go in. So by giving that, just like you said, you know, by giving that time, it really allows them to then initiate. And then 
we've also, which, which is also interesting, is that we've seen, you know, by reducing the communicative pressure, that definitely improves language growth in, in our little kiddos. So by not asking so many questions, you know, by not asking the questions that we already know the answer to, you know, I think that asking questions is, is there's definitely a time and place for it. And sometimes it is necessary. And sometimes we're teaching that. But for our little kiddos who are just learning language, or maybe who are still working on those great linguistic skills, definitely reducing that pressure for them helps them then again initiate and expands their language. And then of course, you know, language facilitation techniques such as self-talk, you know, maybe I will just talk about what I'm doing when I'm playing with a dinosaur, parallel talk, you know, talking about what the kiddo's doing, allowing for silence when we're playing. So that way there isn't a ton of, of pressure there. You know, if I'm consistently talking while the kid was playing, then there is no room for them to, to communicate. And so I think that those things um, and teaching those skills to parents is super helpful to expand their language. And then in terms of, you know, our school age population, parents are, are, have been successful when coached how to use verbal prompts or open-ended questions, modeling, expanding, kind of like we just talked about before, recasting. Those things have been super helpful in terms of outcomes for uh, children's speech and language skills with parent coaching. I think it's such an important reminder to not have those uh, pressures when speaking I just think of all the parents that are constantly asking their child to label, what's that? What's that? Or say blank, say blank when, you know, they really can't. So it's really a great reminder about that. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about the outcomes. What speech and language outcomes can we see with our clients whose parents participate in parent coaching via teletherapy? I think the biggest thing is generalization. Um, So as therapists, um, as SLPs and SLPAs, you know, we only see the client for a very small period of time throughout the week. Maybe it's a half hour, maybe it's an hour. And so that parent coaching piece is so important because the parent or the caregiver or whoever it may be is with the child for the rest of that time. Um, And so when And the parent really does participate in parent coaching um, via teletherapy. And when it's effective, um, we see the generalization of skills. So, um, you know, we can see improvements in expressive language skills, improved vocabulary, um, improvements in literacy skills, um, and even articulation as well. When we have parents who are coached on how to work on um, specific target words and goals with kids. And then before we go further, what are some measurable ways to target speech and language outcomes for parent coaching? Um, How would you write like a a measurable goal, perhaps a smart goal for parent coaching? Great question. Um, I've actually never specifically written goals for parents. You know, I might have notes on my end about maybe um, how the parent is doing in terms of, you know, their level of comprehension of um, the different interventions or, you know, maybe where we left off last session. Um, but really, um, I write the goals for the children or for my clients. Um, and then, of course, I'll share those goals with the parents. 
Um, so really when we start to see the, um, improvements in the goals with our kiddos, that's when we start to know that, you know, the parent coaching is, is really being effective. That's really a good point. So you don't necessarily have to write the goals, uh, from the parent's perspective, it can still be through the child's perspective. I love that. All right. And then I'm curious how you would measure outcomes for generalization of articulation goals when you're using parent coaching. So sometimes what I'll do, um, and I don't do this for, for every session, but um, when I'm coaching a parent, what I might do is take a data count at the end of one session and at the beginning of the next session. So it might even be like out of five trials or out of 10 trials. And so that way I can really see that, you know, between the last session and the current session, oh, wow, you know, there's been some improvement. So um, it looks like they have been practicing at home. Um, And then also, you know, just checking in with parents at the beginning and or end at each each, of each session. Um, Sometimes I'll ask that open-ended question. So, you know, how did it go this week? And usually they know what I'm referring to. Um, And in my experience, um, parents are usually very upfront um, about whether or not they practice. Sometimes they might even say, you know what, this week was a holiday. We didn't get much practice in. Um, and that's actually fine because they do know that, you know, consistent practice is what leads to us improving our goals, but you know, sometimes it does get to be a lot. So, um, you know, uh, I, I definitely try to check in with parents though, and make sure that they have what they need in order to be able to, um, implement those strategies from week to week. Great advice. Um, Can you share some specific cases where parent coaching improved outcomes for your clients? Sure. So um, I have one little kiddo who started with me a couple of months ago and um, her mom came to me and um, said, you know, she has um, a couple of single words here and there, but, you know, she just spends the entire day with these long strings of utterances that I just can't quite understand. And she's going on and on and on, and I'm just not quite getting it. Um, so we started our sessions and um, actually came to found, find out that this kiddo was a Gestalt language processor. So she communicates using echolalia and the long string of utterances was actually jargon. Um, and these were actually um, scripts. It's just that the words hadn't quite fit themselves into the um, into the, the scripts yet or the, the delayed echolalia. So um, During our teletherapy sessions, um, this kiddo was pretty quiet with me. I mean, she was super interactive on screen, really engaged. Um, She would, you know, give me some vocalizations here and there um, and sometimes some gestures. Um, All the while, mom was sitting next to her the whole time. Um, And so... I did a couple of sessions of just me and her because I wanted to kind of gauge where we were at. Um, And then after a couple of weeks, mom actually sent me a video of her, um, of herself playing with her daughter. And it was a completely different story because I heard the jargon. I mean, this kiddo was just going on and on and on and on. So I think um, it's really important because, you know, I was able to see the difference between what I was seeing in the session and what I was seeing at home. And so then what I did was I coached mom in our sessions to work on just following her lead, 
allowing her to initiate, um, doing activities that really interested her and modeling. That was the main thing that we worked on, just modeling new um, phrases for her to learn that would have been functional. Um, things like, um, oh, we did it, or things like, oh, that's fun. Um, and so after a couple of weeks, um, mom, I mean, mom really just kind of picked up all of these strategies and just flew with them, um, which was really cool to see. And after a couple of weeks, mom comes to me and she says, um, you know, it's really amazing. You know, all of her, her jargon is, is now, um, I'm hearing the words because, um, she is feeling more confident and coming up to me and telling me what she wants to tell me because I'm understanding her better. And, um, you know, the modeling is really helping because I'm listening to her, you know, then repeat the models and I'm not even asking her to repeat them. And that's what I told mom, you know, let's not ask her to repeat the models. We're just going to model and we're going to see what happens. Um, and so, you know, this kiddo is now, um, using, um, more phrases. She's definitely expanded, um, the amount and the types of phrases that she's used, which is really, really amazing. So, um, it's really been cool to see that, you know, I've only kind of been just a catalyst in this. I really just kind of taught mom how to model. I gave her, you know, a bunch of resources. We practiced every session and I gave her some feedback during the sessions. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been really great to see the, the increase in expressive language that this kiddo has had. And I think you really encapsulated that well, you know, parent coaching is basically the catalyst, you know, that's awesome to hear that. Uh, would love to hear another case if you, if you have one. Sure. Um, I also have a kiddo who I just started working with, um, who came to me with, a bunch of um, phonological processes that were impacting his um, intelligibility. So um, we started with final consonant deletion and we started with the consonant vowel consonant structures. So words like um, sit and hat and boot and um, boat, things like that. And so um, this kiddo loves the on-screen activities. He enjoys, you know, any of the board games, tic-tac-toe, connect four. So um, it's been really great and easy to also get mom involved in the on-screen activities. Um, so what I did was I started working with him because I, I wanted to kind of gauge how he would respond to the strategies first and in the implementation of the intervention first. And when he picked up on it pretty quickly within the first session, then actually within that first session, I involved mom. And so, um, I explained to her how we were going to model the target word, um, and then I also explained to her what might happen if maybe he produces the target word, even with the model, you know, incorrectly, you know, what else do we need to do? Do we need to give him a verbal cue or a visual cue? Um, and so um, I um, then kind of handed it off to mom and I um, let her um, participate in the activity with him, with the target words. Um, and she, it was, I just love working with the parents who, you know, are just so involved and they're just right there and in it with the kiddo because she picked it up so quickly. And um, to be honest, it, I didn't have to do a ton. I kind of just had to say, okay, you know, let's give him a model maybe before he says the word or, oh, we forgot that one or, you know, oh, let's make sure we get that sound in there. Um, and so 
um, from the first session to the second session, um, the kiddo came back with all of those target words, you know, completely independently, you know, we went from using modeling and visual and verbal cues to then in the second session, um, those target words being, um, completely independent. And then we moved on to other targets. And now that mom is, um, kind of independent herself in cueing him and in, um, you know, reinforcing his, um, his targets that he, you know, does well with. Um, it's really just a matter of our sessions now just being, you know, me having some time with him to participate in the intervention. And then I hand it off to mom and then I kind of give any feedback that's needed. So in the same way, yeah, I'm kind of just the catalyst and it's, and it's kind of cool to, you know, to, I don't want to say be hands off because, you know, I'm still there and I'm still giving that support, but it's really great to be able to empower the parents. So that way they know what they need to do when I'm not there. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to remind the audience if there's any questions that you would like uh, asked to Megan at this time, it's a good time to uh, put your questions into the chat. Um, And while people are maybe gathering their thoughts, um, if you wouldn't mind kind of summarizing um, everything that we've been talking about for the past hour. Of course. Um, so I think that the common denominator that we're seeing in all of the in all of the research um, is that parent coaching via teletherapy is effective. Um, there are definitely a lot of things that we need to consider, um, but um, I think that if we are on board and we're confident in our skills and the parents on board, um, you know, if we start having those conversations, uh, I think that the the parent coaching piece can be incredibly effective. Um, and, you know, parent coaching doesn't have to happen right from the first session. You know, sometimes we need to go quite a few sessions before we add it. And it's not something that we need to jump right into. Um, but, you know, in seeing um, the outcome that it's had in the research and even personally with my kiddos, you know, there are a ton of wonderful outcomes such as, um, you know, increased vocabulary, MLU, um, enhanced literacy skills, expanded language, um, improvements for articulation. So, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big uh, fan of parent coaching via teletherapy. And what kind of advice do you have for SLPs or SLPAs who are just uh, beginning to use this model? Um, I definitely think that, you know, just kind of taking it slow. Um, Like I said, we don't, it's not something that you necessarily need to jump into, Um, but even kind of just having those conversations with parents, um, about what maybe to expect and, and letting the parents know, you know, this might be something new for me. So we're going to try it out together and we're going to, we're going to go through it together and figure out how it works. And sometimes parent coaching is just trial and error. It's just seeing, you know, what works for the family dynamic, what's seeing what works for the client. Um, and so I think that just taking it piece by piece and not really rushing into it, um, might be helpful. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you again. Uh, we truly appreciate your research, education, and expertise. You provided about empowering parents via teletherapy, um, early intervention to school age children. As a reminder, if your state license requires CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz, before the end of 
today on your speechtherapypd.com account. And please be sure to join us for our next episode in the series, episode six, treating medical cases through telepractice. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for tonight's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.